welcome to Forever Canon, the podcast where we talk about Star Wars books that have been snapped into dust by Mama Thanos. I mean Disney. I'm Justin. I'm Tim. Kevin is away on special Rebel Assignment. And this week we're going to talk about chapters 13 to 16. But first, bum bum bum, previously on Forever Canon. Jason and Ben lead the GAG's first midnight raid. The Solos deal with Dergedjin. Fett finds Tonwi, and Jason arrests his daughter. And the GA initiates a blockade of Karelia. But that was last time on. This week, we start on chapter 13, and we start with one of these. Say it with me. Intro, insert, excerpt, little blurby blurbers. Those little things that we do. And I'm going to read it to you now. Unless Karelia reconsiders its intention to make Centerpoint Station operational again, in contravention of the Senate instruction to all member states to disarm, I have no option but to authorize sanctions against Karelia in the form of traffic interdiction. A naval blockade of Karelia will begin at 500 tomorrow unless undertakings are given that Karelia will not rearm. This means that no vessels will be permitted to enter or leave Karelia or any of its industrial orbiters. Chief of State Omas to the Senate and the Karelian ambassador. So, long story short, Karelia has to stop fixing Centerpoint by 5 o'clock in the morning or they're going to get shut out by the government, essentially. Gee, I, wa- I wonder if now is the point where they're going to start bending. Maybe this is the point where they're finally going to have a little give, huh? Just put that time limit on there. That'll make all the difference. Yeah, yeah, that'll work with Karelians. No, nah, it's just all formalities. Yep. You must announce the thing before you do the thing. But Chapter 13 really starts on the GA flagship Ocean over Karelia at, here we go, a timestamp, 4.59 a.m. Is that significant? Could that be a significant time at all? Could have, could have some. One minute before the blockade is meant to start. Jason and Nithal are on the front lines of the Karelian blockade as over 200 plus GA ships cut the planet off. They're both, they're both being sure that they're being seen as part of the troops. Remember they were talking about that earlier. People respect that kind of stuff for generations, yeah. right? Yep. Just like that, who was it, LeCauf, Corporal LeCauf, I think, that Jason was talking to? Yeah, that his grandpa worked with Vader. That's right generations of loyalty when you're out there on the front line so these two are like manipulating things here jason is thinking about how ben has become his own man while he's been with the gag on coruscant out from under the skywalker shadow i think he says he's not wrong i mean the kid is blooming yeah being left to grow yeah and it's it's interesting that it was even before part of the gag when he was when he was just following Jason around. Yeah. Just being Luke's kid was enough to, for people to look at him special. Well, like everybody knows, man, you're the most, you're the son of the most famous man in the galaxy. Everybody knows who you are. There's no escaping it. And everybody's going to have certain expectations of you based on you, dad. And so I think he's enjoying that too. In in the, in the, in the black gear of the GAG where everybody's pretty anonymous. He's been, he's been growing. Yep. Jason can feel Jaina down on the flight decks of the ocean, anxious. He thinks about Tenelka and Alana out in the Hapes Cluster Consortium. But oh snap, don't think about her. 
the Maya might be listening to your brain. She's she must she's the path to becoming a Jedi, and she's so important to becoming a Jedi. She's the path to becoming a Sith, and she's so yeah. important. But I don't trust her at all. And if in fact she might be reading my mind at this very moment, and probably not, probably a good thing not to trust her. I don't know. Yeah. So, Although he seems to. Oh, you want me to be a Sith? Okay, cool. Do that. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's pretty uh, accepting of of his uh, of his destiny at this point. And Jason, on the uh, I don't know. I think they're up on the bridge of the carrier mm-hmm. of, of the ocean. He puts Rogue Squadron on alert. Hello, that's his squadron, Rogue Squadron. Yeah, coming back from the past. That was. Uh, Many, 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 many books by Aaron Alston, our first author in the uh, X-Wing series, man. And Rogue Squadron, those Rogue Squadron books are always good. He's good at playing the politics, too, because yeah. she's the leader of the fleet, and he asks her if it's okay to put him on alert rather than just do it like he normally would. Yeah, and he even he's thinking about what kind of officer he's going to be. And he thinks, Jason knew what he wanted to be. The officer who would never shirk his responsibility and who would never ask anyone to do what he wouldn't do himself. It made you friends. Jason knew he would need every one of them in the months to come. So again, like, is he doing it because it's the right thing to do? Or is he doing it because he needs to do it to manipulate things moving forward? You know what I mean? Like, he, I'm going to need all the friends I can get. I'm going to need all the people I can get on my side. So I have to do this and this and this. Yeah. I think if that last line hadn't come in, right. he was doing it for the right reasons. Right. He All the loyalty and friends. Yeah. You know, that's, I don't know, man. Calculated, calculated decisions. Cut to the GAG head, headquarters. More missed calls. It's been a trend throughout this book so far. Ben has five from his dad. He feels hunted by Luke without Jason to protect him. He's far closer to Jason than he is to his dad. That's for sure. He joins Shivu on the Aelin Haber interrogation, and we get a description of Aelin Haber, who we know to be Boba Fett's daughter. She was sitting at a table, hands on the surface in front of her. She was handcuffed, and her face still bore the marks of the scuffle when she was arrested. The tattoo that surrounded her left eye was unnerving, and she was the hardest-looking woman Ben had ever seen. Wiry and unsmiling, with thin, sinewy forearms that made her look as if she spent her time strangling people. <laughs> <laughs> if, I, if I ever wanted a description of Boba Fett's daughter, that's what I want. Yeah. She looks like she spends her time strangling people. Yowza. She sounds pretty hard. Yeah. And being Boba Fett's daughter... You know, it's in your blood. Shivu's in there playing good cop with Aelin. He just wants to know what she was after. What are you doing here? What are you doing with all these weapons? What are you doing with all this gear? Asking questions, but she's not talking. Not even when he reveals the missed calls from Mertigev. Here we go. More missed calls. I don't know why that's such a theme in this book, but uh, the inability to communicate with each other is a major crutch in this in this. Uh, opening i don't know half of the book here it's just all oh missed calls jason's got missed calls from his mom han's got missed calls from jason luke's got missed calls from ben ben's got missed calls from luke Mert to gev she, she's throwing calls at aylen Haber. she's missing them. Yeah. all these calls i don't know i don't understand the significance of it 
But it's the same thing over and over. It's maybe it's more of what from the previous book and the beginning of this one, people not talking to each other. Yeah, but now it's like circumstantial more than yeah a most... decision, which is anyways. Anyways, Ben is sent to find another officer, and there he finds Barrett Sai with a group of newly arrested Karelians. And Ben says this is the moment he knows he will never be a kid again. Now? This is the moment, really? What about <laughs> uh, convincing your robot cousin Anakin to kill himself? What about starting a civil war? What about fighting force ghosts in a cave? What about raiding homes in the middle of the night a few days ago? What about saving a cop from being shot heartbeats ago? Uh, nope, that's all kid shit. That's regular kid shit. Okay? <laughs> this is the moment where he knows he'll never be a kid again. And hold on to that because he says it several more times throughout the rest of the end of this book. Chapter 14, we get another intro. Insert, excerpt, blurby blurb. This one's a little shorter. Uh, I'm going to try my best <laughs> for funsies. Good luck, read, man. Good to luck. To read this, and it's, uh, it's, it, it, it's in Mando. Kebarjuri or Garade, Jekaisa Kade, Kotala Adale Kade, Kotla Shaya. That, that's not terrible. I don't know. I've, I've definitely missed a lot of the syllables. But anyways, train your sons to be strong, but your daughters to be stronger. Mar Mandalorian saying. Okay. Cool. Sure, man. Mando feminism. Blam. Take that. Girl power. So on and so forth. The original Spice Girls. But chapter 14 really starts at Zarya's bar on Drawl in the Karelian system. Fett is asking his collection of Mando if they want to defend Centerpoint. This was the offer he got from Thraken. Who's all there, you might ask? Bevin, Zeramar, Brike, Orade, Vevut, and Talgal. Don't you know? Yeah, Don't all, you know all, those the, guys. all these Mandalorians? Where's Kevin when you need him? Yeah, he'd know them all. The only lady is Talgal. Uh, that gets pointed out for some reason. Besides Merta, of course. They are largely disinterested in defending Centerpoint, but they decide to wait and see. How very Jedi Council of them. <laughs> wait and see. Then Bavine lays into Boba for being a bad leader. Everywhere this guy goes, he just gets berated by everybody for his failings. And uh, as a leader, he should be. He's yeah. kind of a terrible well, leader. He is. and He's giving them no direction, and that's what Bavine wants. He says, maybe it's time for us to stop this nomad stuff. And actually build up our own home world and build up our system and have a place to actually be a real home. Cut to the Karelian blockade, inner exclusion zone. Rogue squadron, flying patrol around Karelian shipyards. Jason and Jaina are flying together. Some of my favorite things from the New Jedi Order series are the way that these two pilot together. These super powerful force sensitive twins yeah man they do magic stuff together he can feel her a bright fire of resentment and anger it yeah, isn't that <laughs> nice oh and zek's there too as jason orders him to turn back a water resupply ship jaina and zek were under the impression that they were only going to be turning away military vehicles or like they didn't seem to be under the impression that they were going to be cutting civilian workers off on the orbiters from their food and water supply yeah which is but why why wouldn't you and why wouldn't you expect that she's a colonel she's been in several yeah. wars already yeah that's true what are you talking about maybe just the 
instructions they were given weren't specific enough or they were it seems it's all very specific to jason he's very clear on what the rules of engagement are though and after a few hours some actual fighters do show up for a little game of chicken with rogue squad harmless totally harmless until one of them fires a missile at jason yep jason takes a moment to consider his options Jason could have sent the Carillion spiraling harmlessly away by using the force to tip his wings. He could have stopped the drives dead and left him drifting. But this pilot was one more asset that was ready to take their lives. He and his starfighter had to be removed permanently. One more asset. Not a person. Not a pilot. Not a Carillion. Another asset. He blows some chaff at the missile. He pulls a sick three-point space turn to get right up in the guy's engines. And he blows on the smithereens. Yep. Blows him up. Not even really a second thought. No. He's, he's like, just, I could do this. I well, could do this. But let's, let's kill him. But pow. Yeah. And Jaina actually congratulates him. Yeah. Sarcastically. Yeah. Resigned, she says. Congratulations. You fired the opening shot of the real war. You just made the history books. Boom. Burn! Call the fire department, Jason Solo, because you just got space burned. And he, yeah, you did. Like, it's wow. Very true. Look at him out on the front lines, eh? Who do you think has escalated things more so far in the course of the <laughs> Civil War? Klauskin? With his stupid move to to invade Relideer? Was it was it Ben at Centerpoint? Shutting down Centerpoint? And that was a major... Uh, Major thorn in the side of the Carillions and advancement in the Civil War. Or is it Jason here blowing up a Carillion pilot at the blockade? Like, which one yeah. is the bigger but one? It would depend on how you look at it because Klauskins really would be the kickoff to everything. Yeah, the first mistake. It's like the first domino to fall, I guess. That, yeah. that leads to just more and more mistakes. It, I, it really doesn't matter which one is the biggest well, one. Well, it's, you know, like how you see on. Like different commercials or whatever, the different size dominoes. Yeah. Like the the ones that look like yeah. a like a signal bar. Yeah, yeah. There's Klausen's got the small one. It starts the whole fall and then Jason's is that big ass one at yeah. the end. <laughs> and boy does his get bigger and bigger as we go along. Yeah. And he ain't afraid to tip no dominoes, man. Cut to slave one in the outer exclusion zone. We were just on the inner side of the blockade. Now Boba Fett is one second hyperspace jump right through the blockade, bang. And he lands on Coronet to meet with Sal Solo. Sorry about your blockade. I'm Boba Fett. Yeah. Zip, boom, gone, done. In a second. Done. <laughs> it's it's actually it's pretty outrageous when you think about it. I mean, with all the big deal that's been made of the blockade and like the big uh, uh the big engagement that Jason and Rogue Squadron just had, this is Boba Fett's so like, whoop, gone. No problem. He actually says some real stuff to Myrta on this one. He says, I don't want to have to hunt you down and shoot you before you tell me what happened to my wife, he said. He wasn't sure if he said it to shock or because he meant it. He didn't have to care either way. I did love her. I just didn't know how to be part of a family. Do I mean yeah. that? Yes, I think I really yeah, do. He yeah. says to himself. That's some real talk from Boba Fett, man. How old? 71? No, 81. I don't remember. 79? Old. He's either old. Way, either way, later, late towards the end of, the, of a century, 
And the man is finally starting to get like emotionally real with yeah. people. And way older than he should be because he's a clone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. And there's they're booby trapping the ship right now and like after they've landed on Coronet. I don't know. Is he opening up to her just because he's dying or and she's the only one around or like or is there some other Secret connection between the two of them that will be revealed later in a few chapters. Who knows? I don't know. It could go either way. But they're here to meet with Thraken, and his minions have arrived to pick up Fett, VIP style. Who's there to pick him up? Durgadjin. Dun, dun, dun. Is he playing both sides? He, he might be. I don't know. And Fett's little thing here at the end. Gadjin would be trouble. Fett could feel it. He could feel it i can feel it chapter 15 has a little intro insert excerpt beginning blurby blobby blobby let me read it to you i like this one we're under siege the galactic alliance has violated our airspace marooned civilian workers on orbiters without food and water and opened fire on our defense forces the alliance has committed more acts of war against us we'll stand alone if we have to but I invite other planets to ask themselves this. Which of you will be the Alliance's next target? Support us while you still can. Thraken Sal Solo, in a speech to the Carillion Embassy, broadcast live on HNE's Carillion affiliate. So, Thraken's got his own dominoes that he's been knocking over. Yeah, he's certainly trying to, but you know what? He's not wrong. Mm-mm. He's almost being a good guy here. He's certainly trying to be. But he is almost being a good guy here. He come, and this is might sound like a familiar message, and it's funny that it's coming out of Thrak and Sal Solo. But the message is essentially, come join the rebellion. Yeah. Before the new empire gets you next. That's what he's doing. He's fear mongering out there, and he's doing it well. He's doing it really well. But chapter fifteen really starts in the Senate building on day three of the blockade. Thousands of voices chanting the Empire's back outside of the Senate building as Jason and Nyathal arrive. It says maybe half a million. Yeah. Yeah. Thousands of them chanting, but a lot of people out there. He puts up a force shield as protesters are throwing things at them immediately as soon as they get out of their speeder. Jason tells them to go home and gently force pushes them away. They make their way into the building without any incident and they arrive at a meeting with luke mara and omas already underway the jedi support the blockade but only as an alternative to war and as an alternative to backing off of disarming yeah so right now essentially what they're admitting is that we're stuck between a rock and a hard place but we don't like either option so right now we only support the blockade because we don't want to go to war and we don't want to backtrack on telling everybody to get rid of their weapons or, I mean, contribute their weapons. Yeah. You can't yeah. backtrack. Yeah, you don't want to go back on what you've already told them. Especially not after all this has already happened. It's like as soon as Klauskin did that thing, you're committed. Everybody's committed. Yeah. And no matter what happens from that point on, you can't back down from the disarmament. Yeah, when, especially like with a planet like Corellia, you know yeah. that they would – they would go from what armaments they were going to have and then just like double it. Well, and they still will. <laughs> so, I mean, either way, there, that's what the thing is. There is no right decision. There is no winning. Jason and Luke 
immediately started arguing, surprise, surprise, about the government detaining civilians. Luke really doesn't like what Jason and Ben are up to. Then, Luke pulls him aside after the meeting to tell him he wants Ben back at the academy, not with the GAG. Luke's logic is no good for Jason, though. Luke says, he's 13 years old, for goodness sake. And you thought that was old enough to send him on a commando raid? I hate to question your logic, Uncle, but that isn't making sense to me. Go on, say it. Tell me that you think I'm turning to the dark side. That's what you think, isn't it? Let's have it out in the open. Accuse me. He isn't using violence. Why is it okay for Jane and Zek and me to fly combat missions that end in the deaths of other pilots, but it's not alright for Ben to find terrorists and help arrest them? Boom. Roasted. Yeah. Good point. I find myself saying this a lot during this podcast. Jason's not wrong. There's a lot of, like, technically you're right. But he is still 13. He Yeah, he is still a child, technically. Like, yeah, he's a Jedi child. He but... is a Jedi child, though, right? He's like, he's a child soldier. Yeah. And so a 13-year-old child soldier is a different than a regular 13-year-old, I guess. I don't know. I don't have any of those. <laughs> <laughs> One or the other. My oldest is eight right now. But definitely not a child soldier. <laughs> As he routinely gets out-wrestled by his brother who's half his age. Anyways, back to the story. Lumaya is back, Luke tells him. And Jason tries so hard to control his reaction. Luke thinks she's after Ben. Jason says, I'll keep an eye out, bud. Haven't seen her, but I'll keep an eye out for you. Then he leaves, pulls out his comm, and immediately says, Lumaya, I need to talk to you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, obviously we're way past the point of him telling Luke the truth about this, but it is funny when he's just, like, gets directly confronted with it and he has to be like oh no who really oh i haven't seen her no i haven't seen her uh and then he gets on the phone right away he's like oh shit we gotta talk yeah yeah (laughs) i got bad news stuff's happening yeah cut to the (laughs) g-a-g-h-q ben is watching intelligence officers work you know spy stuff his mom was a spy did you know that yeah i knew that but jason is back and it's time to go see him First thing Ben says to Jason is nice shooting. He saw it on the news. Just idolizes this guy. <laughs> Nasty. Yeah. The so news much. is pumping him up too, though. HNE News is painting Jason as a hero. Yeah. And Jason tells Ben, you've got to go talk to your parents. No more missed calls. And he tells him which side Luke and Mara are on. That... Luke wants Ben away from Jason and Mara wants him to stay with Jason. So he's pretty directly putting him in between both of his parents in an effort to force him like into a conflict Yeah, to test him and, and, and to manipulate him and stuff like that. Jason gets more and more messed up as we go here, man. But don't forget, I mean, it, it was the last book. He wiped his memory. <laughs> he, he's been pretty whack the whole way. I think that's the whole thing about, about this whole series is like, Jason is already pretty far along the path to to darkness before Lumaya ever comes into the picture and starts like giving him the prophecy and painting him yeah as the uh, the new Jesus yeah the I dark th- side I think a lot of that comes from all his extra force learning yeah and because a lot of the stuff that his he learned sabbatical they call yeah, it all the time a lot of the stuff that he learned was 
it could be good or bad. Right. And it was just, here's the skill. Yeah. It's in the gray. Whereas most of the stuff that you get taught, all the stuff you get taught at the Jedi Academy is in the light. Yeah. He hasn't necessarily learned anything directly in the dark, but he's learned a lot of stuff in the gray already. Yeah, absolutely. So then by the time Lumaya comes around, he's already like, yeah, I've seen some of the gray and it makes me question the light. So like, what's up, Uncle Luke? He doesn't (laughs) argues with him every chance that he sees him. With, Starting with the spice loaf, man. With good, well reasoned arguments. Yeah, though, and good intentions is, too. Yeah, where like he just wants Luke to wake up and be decisive. And what's that's so also not about, a problem. What's so bad I th- about that? I think that's a pretty good choice as I, well. I think that's why Jason is is an excellent like protagonist or antagonist. I don't know which one. I don't know which one is the right phrase. To be Pro honest. is good. Either way. Well, I don't know. It doesn't mean good or bad. It just means he's a good who, antagonist. Who's yeah? He's a, he's a great antagonist. <laughs> Uh, but i think that's what makes him so good is that like he has a good reason for doing everything that he does it's not just evil for the wanton sake of evil yeah yeah he he has done some bad things so far but always in the name of trying to do the right thing yeah he's not just going around murdering people for no reason or no right but i mean then again he has that chance to not blow up that pilot at the blockade then he blows him up, <laughs> like <laughs> real does. bad. Like he didn't disable his ship. He did. He said, "I could, in an instant, in a heartbeat, reach out with the force and just knock that guy sideways." Yep. Nope. <laughs> I'm gonna do a circus loop de loop right behind him. Get in his tail lights and smoke that fool. <laughs> okay. Okay, bud. Anyways, it's time to go talk about this bounty hunter. Jason says. Ben notes right away she's all bruised up now, and she's not been well taken care of. He notes this moments before Jason force slams her head off the table twice after she doesn't answer him. Ben is shocked. And this, like, broke my heart. Because he's a 13-year-old kid in the realest moments, man. Like, he acts like an adult when he's around the other adults, but in this moment here, he is... A 13-year-old who's watching something he's not supposed to be watching, really. He's supposed to be standing outside the room, but he's peeking inside, right? And uh, these are the moments where when when the shit hits the fan and gets real, he is a 13-year-old all the way through. He finally sees Jason do something indefensible. There's no defending that. She is a captive. She is unarmed. Yeah. And he does it with the force, no less. But... As everybody does, he gives Jason the benefit of the doubt. So he hurts people. I was pleased that he shot down an enemy fighter, but that guy's dead. So why do I feel bad when I see him hurt someone? Hey, Ben, here's why. Because she was unarmed. Yeah, that's part of it, for sure. But again, also part of his argument is not wrong. We draw these lines. It's like it's it's like the hypocrisy of of eating meat and not wanting to kill an animal right yeah it's you're okay with him blowing up a guy in a ship because he's in a ship you watch him smash his chick's face off the table and that's not cool because it's her it's a direct violence against the person it's the pilot inside the ship is the afterthought the ship explodes you don't see a, a person explode yeah you know but you smack that chick's face off the table twice hard and that hits, no, not to be punny here, but it hits home, man. <laughs> For Ben, it, it, he's rattled. 
And he says, okay. I've never killed anyone, he says. Wait a second. You never killed anyone, Ben? Maybe not on purpose, but there was that pilot who went ejector seat through the telephone lines, sliced to bits. Maybe not Directly. anyone that you know of, but you did kill some of those Minox that were supposedly like soul-linked to, to living somebody. beings. Yeah. So either way, this kid is learning how complicated war and death really are. Like It's not as simple as you shoot the ship and kapow, you're winning. It's not points on a game. It's yeah. It's it's lives. No matter how no matter how much ship or armor is dressed around the person that you're killing, it's a life. Which yeah. is that's real for a thirteen year old. He says he listens outside the door for hours, listening to questions, thuds, and cries of pain, knowing he should do something. But he doesn't. He's indecisive. And by the time Shivu and Captain Gurdon show up. Aelin Habur is dead. Jason Solo has murdered Boba Fett's daughter. Yep. Oh. That's not that's good. That's not going to be good, is it? Jason says, I've entered people's minds before and they've always been fine afterward. He seems surprised that his force technique had caused so much damage to Habur, but not sorry. Ben noted that. With the force. He was trying to get into her mind because she was not answering his questions. And uh, she has been so poorly treated and poorly taken care of that she couldn't physically handle it. And she died. Ben doesn't know why Jason did what he did. But he must have had a reason. Ben just didn't understand yet. Ben wants to go home to his mom and dad. And I think Jason can feel it. He's straight up asks Ben if he wants to go home to his mom and in the middle of the GAG headquarters after you know he he's using both sides of the coin against him where he's like you're a man and also you're a child but Ben doesn't notice when he treats him like a child he only notices when he treats him like a man but this in the middle of all this stuff Asking him, do you want to go home to your mom, is a little, like, for all the stuff that he's... It's fairly condescending to do in front of everybody, right? Well, big time, man. And and when the whole thing is like, hey, you're a man and you're one of us and yeah. all that, this is so manipulative. Yeah, go cry to your mommy he, is what he's saying. What he's doing is he's challenging this kid's newfound adulthood in front of all of his new adult friends. That's what he's doing. He's challenging, are you an adult? In front of everybody, this is what he's saying. Yeah. Are you or are you not? And why is he doing that? Because he just did the wrong thing. Yeah. That's why. He's manipulating Ben to cover up the negativity of his action that he just did. Yeah, that he just murdered an unarmed person. Yeah. Now, he says, just give me the data pad of info and I'll figure out who she was after. And he does immediately. Yeah. Ben's fine. He's in shock, but he figures it out right away. He sees a YT-1300 in most of the pictures. He says, she was after your dad, Jason. You can do anything in the force. How did you miss this? And what blinded you? These are questions that he asks him directly. No, maybe I don't remember if he asked them out loud or not. Oh, no, he doesn't. It's something he thinks in his head. Yeah. Ben thinks those that to himself. And, dude, he's totally right. How did you not see that? How did you not see your dad's ship in every picture? Yeah. Even in the background. I thought 
come on. But he is just so, he has so much, so many other things on his plate right now, you know, ascending to the Sith Lordship and, and, uh, uh destabilizing a government and yeah. <laughs> so on and so forth. Kidnapping terrorists in the middle of the night. He missed the picture. Ben is finally shook. Wow. Finally. Jason isn't actually perfect. How about that? Cut to Coronet, the Karelian president's office. Fett has a pretty quick meeting with Thraken, whom he, of course, dislikes. This guy is a piece of shit. Although, let me say this. I don't know if I've said this before, but I always picture Thraken as Hank Scorpio from The Simpsons. You remember, <laughs> do you remember that episode where Hank Scorpio is like a super nice guy, but he's like actually a secret evil genius mastermind and he's whatever. Yeah. Like, I just always picture Thraken with that orange beard. Yes. Because I think they describe him as having that. Like he's like yeah. Han Solo, but with a beard. Han with a beard. Right? Yeah. yeah. But for some reason, I always, I always picture him as that guy. Anyways, <laughs> here's the deal. Fett says a million dollars per man per month, probably a hundred men. AKA a hundred million smackaroos a month to defense center point. A hundred million per month. Damn. These mandos are expensive. They used to be a lot cheaper when you could just make them yourself. I remember back in the day when you could just grow your own mandos way cheaper. Fett asks for a tour on the way out, which Gedgen gives him. And he offers Fett a million dollars to kill Thraken. This guy. This guy's offering anybody money to kill Thraken. A million seems to be his number. Yeah, he wants this sucker dead. Oh, and Boba Fett happily accepts this offer. Dergedjan is on the up and up, he thinks. But first, we find Han Solo to get to Aelin, Boba says. I can almost think like him now. Yeah, you guys are pretty much soulmates and you don't even know it. Yeah. Like, you think alike, you talk alike, you act alike. That's why you guys have been tied at the hip over all these many decades all this time. Yep, the 40, 50 years. They're the two twin hearts of a binary star rotating each other throughout their entire lives. Ooh, I like that. Always drawn together, always pulled apart from each other, and yet always part of the same. Chapter 16. Starts with, believe it or not, another one of these intro excerpt blurbity blurbities. Mom, Dad, please don't ignore this message. We've caught Thraken's assassin because she made the mistake of looking for you on Coruscant. Her name is Aelin Habur, and she isn't going to trouble you any longer. But she might have a female accomplice named Mertegev. That's all we know right now, but stay sharp. Mom, Dad, I love you. Please try to understand what I have to do. Jason Solo, encrypted calm link message to his parents. He's using present tense. He is. Like she's still around. All I have to say about this is that I don't think your parents are going to understand, bro. The chapter really opens in Jason's apartment on Coruscant. Lumaya wants to speed up Jason's training if Luke knows that she's around. Jason tells her, I killed someone today, and he is appalled at what he can do. She reminds him, that's why you're the man for the job. That logic being seductive and, and horribly true, Jason thinks. Lumaya points out the willful ignorance we've commented on all this time. <laughs> 
Luke's little wife ignores what she feels about you and looks for any excuse not to believe it because she puts her son's happiness first. Luke doesn't confront you because he fears alienating his wife and son. If they face those fears and drew on them, they might well thwart our plans, but they won't. She's not wrong. Again. The Sith have a very logical way of looking at things, it it appears. They have a way of being technically right. Yeah. Which kind of harkens back to Kevin's favorite thing of if you... If you build all of your actions on excuses for why it's right, it's a, uh, what a, a, a leaning tower of Liza. <laughs> Some, something along those lines, right? She's right a lot, but here's one thing I noticed. I thought the phrase little wife. Little wife. Yeah. Sound <laughs> yeah. pretty petty. Pretty petty for a dark lady of the Sith. Is she mad that he chose a different dark sider? To marry and have babies with. Because it's not just he picked a different woman. He literally picked another dark Jedi instead of Lumaya to turn to the light and save and and give a great life to. Yeah. Think about it from that perspective and maybe she's not quite so uh, unmotivated by Luke Skywalker as she's saying. Because I wonder about that all the way through this. Like, she keeps saying over and over that she doesn't care about Luke anymore. That's all in the past, blah, blah, blah. But isn't it also kind of convenient that the one who is the savior of the galaxy and the direction of the Sith happens to be Luke Skywalker's nephew? Yeah, that's convenient. And he just so happens to be training Luke Skywalker's son. I mean, is it convenient or is it just truly destiny because of their bloodline where like their grandfather was conceived from the force. Yeah. He was created by Sith Lords in the force. And he is, he's essentially Jesus of the force. (laughs) So, so I mean like if you think about it from that perspective, but like the most powerful magic user ever is, was Darth Vader. Until now, and now it's Jason Solo. It used to be Luke. Now Jason is starting to surpass him, he he believes, he mentions later. But how much of it is Lumaya actually being motivated by being a petty bitch? <laughs> how much of it is just true destiny of your bloodline? Like, Don't tell me none of it is pettiness. Yeah, There's yeah, no they're... way. Yeah, Not when some... she starts saying stuff like little wife. Little wife. You know, I don't know. I like that, though. Well, here's what she wants. She wants Jason to be named a master. She says she's going to start working on influencing opinions. Like she did to Nyathal, Jason said. She's been shaping events since the beginning. Start going all the way back to Klauskin. She was the one giving him forced ghost visions of his dead wife. Telling him to do something, escalate the situation. She's been manipulating everything from the very beginning of this galactic civil war. Maybe even further back. Like, maybe she even gave somebody the idea to build a secret fleet for Karelia. Maybe she has been swaying opinions for who God God knows how far back. Maybe ever since Luke Skywalker broke up there. Yeah, maybe this started who knows, years and years right? ago. Who knows? Cut to the Skywalker apartment. 
Luke feels Ben's massive emotions coming towards the door. They have an excellent convo when Luke tells Ben he doesn't like the GAG actions. Ben says, didn't you both kill a lot of people? Like both of you, my parents? Didn't both of you kill a lot of people? And uh, they couldn't have all been bad guys, especially because mom was kind of a bad guy, right? So she wasn't killing bad guys, right? Uh, I've all, all I've done so far is save people. Yeah. Maybe what looks bad isn't really bad, is what he says to his dad and his mom. Damn. Damn with that logic. Because, God, that's pretty airtight, man. Not everybody on the Death Star was a, a fearsome murderer, Dad, when you blew it to smithereens with billions of people inside of it. Yeah. And, hey, Mom, you used to be a bad guy. And at the when the before this all this conversation starts, yeah. Ben calls Luke Sir instead right. of Dad. Instead of Dad, yeah. And is that um I that's either him like having that distance from his dad and it's just more pronounced now, or it's it's just carrying over from being in the military now. I think it's both. And I think it's also partly purposeful where he's trying to portray himself more as an adult yeah. to his parents. Where, like, I mean, he's going to throw himself full force into the military thing. Where he's like, yeah, I say I call people sir now. What's up? It's just like when he called Mara ma'am. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know? He did that purposely in front of everybody because he didn't want to be embarrassed. Meanwhile, a few days later, Jason's like, do you want to go home to your mom? Yeah. <laughs> in front of all those same people. But maybe what looks bad isn't really bad. You know? Like when your cousin slash hero murders a defenseless prisoner. Maybe maybe what looks bad isn't really bad. Maybe maybe there's excuses for that. Leaving Luke and Mara with no retort when he tells them he wants to stay in the GAG. He doesn't want to go back to the academy. Luke still feels his dreams are coming closer to reality than his waking life. You know, his bad dreams. Because this guy can't stop having bad dreams. <laughs> Cut to Coronet Corellia. Han is trying to get into Boba Fett's headspace to plan to kill Thraken. How? I gotta think like Boba Fett. And he's like, that's the bounty hunter I know the best. Uh, to try and think like a murderer, to be a murderer. Just as Boba Fett jetpacks up right behind him in the park, forearms him to the face, and then <laughs> hustles him into a building for a little face-to-face -face chat. <laughs> it's like he Beetlejuiced him. He bloody married him. He, su <laughs> yeah, he summoned yeah. him with his pure... Kismet twin binary star heart. But Boba Fett lets him know he is going to be bait for finding his daughter. He's a trap, TM. Han remembers Jason's message about Myrta Gev. And when she walks in to this room with him and Boba Fett, he rushes her. And he gets his ass kicked. She beats the piss out of him. All of this before they come to the understanding that they both want Thraken dead. Oh, and uh, Jason has Boba Fett's daughter. Well, let me go and sort Thraken and I'll put in a good word for you with my boy. Maybe he can arrange visiting rights. And maybe I'll tell your boy that he can pick his dad up in a body bag if he lays a finger on my daughter. Maybe I'll finish the job for her because you're no use to me as bait now. Things might escalate a little bit it seems if anybody puts a finger 
on Aelin Haber, Boba Fett's daughter. Han, unbeknownst to himself, is making promises that he cannot keep here. Because who would possibly imagine what Jason Solo had done? But for now, it's time for the Karelian president to die. <laughs> <laughs> That's all for us this week on Forever Canon. Next week, we're going to cover chapters 17 through 20 of Bloodlines, book two of Legacy of the Force. I'm Justin. And I'm Tim. And we'll catch you another time. Maybe another time. Something like that. Bye. See ya. For any comments and questions, you can hit us up at forevercanonpodcast at gmail.com. Forever Canon Podcast is a Jay Plazer production. Catch us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, Twitter, and YouTube at Jay Plazer. Check us out.